a diamond in the rough is, will always be superior to a perfectly polished pebble. And for me, coming from, you know, a legal background, you know, there is never really room for errors. You're expected to deliver a quote unquote perfect product because, you know, you're a lawyer, you have to deliver it. There's very, very little room for error, like I said. And then you go into entrepreneurship where there's a ton of room for error. Um, and I've had to make that, that, that big transition mentally saying, okay, I have five things like, I, you know, I, I, I want to work on right now, but today, the hours I have today to dedicate to those five things, I can maybe do one or two things really, really well, but then those other three things won't get done. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow Savvy Real Estate investors, we have Jess and Luke Boyron on our show today. Jess and Luke are lawyers turned into real estate investors and entrepreneurs. They have an impressive track record, which consists of building a large Canadian wholesaling business and a buy and hold portfolio of close to 75 doors. Yeah, we were able to speak about how real estate has allowed them to create a life of freedom and most recently allowed them to spend their winters snowboarding in the Canary Islands, which was pretty cool, while their business was still able to run seamlessly. So here's Jess and Luke. Hey guys, we have uh, Jess and Luke on our show today. So excited to sit down with you guys and uh, looking forward to the conversation. So we're going to get right into it. Maybe both of you or one of you can answer uh, the question. We just uh, really curious about how you got started in real estate. Maybe tell us a little bit about your background. I'll let Jess and Luke tell you guys what their professions were before they started in real estate and uh, sort of what brought you into the world of real estate. Uh, Sure. I guess we can do it separately, Jess. I I grew up in a real estate family. My dad was a commercial real estate agent and investor. And actually, he wrote this book called Commercial Real Estate Investing in Canada. Um, (laughs) And uh, so I grew up surrounded by by real estate. And, you know, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a commercial real estate agent when I grew up. I ended up going to business school. And then in when I was 18, I bought my first rental property at Jane and Finch in Toronto. Uh, And then um, I always wanted to buy more rentals, but I couldn't figure out how financing would work to buy more rentals. So I figured, why don't I go to law school? Lawyers make good income. Banks like lawyers. They're going to lend to lawyers. So my reason to become a lawyer was to get loans, um, which is a terrible <laughs> reason to go to law school. But that's what I did. And um, I ended up going to uh, Osgood for law and Schulich School of Business for my MBA. Did a joint program. And that's where I met my wonderful wife. And I bought a couple rentals through undergrad with friends. and then. After law school, I articled to get like an internship to get called to the bar. And at the same time was trying to, you know, start flipping. And when I finished law school, I went into flipping houses full time, just working with me on weekends to help properties while she was working in law and, and started flipping houses. And then we grew it from there and eventually started wholesaling. And I'm skipping ahead, but we built up the largest wholesaling company in Canada from that and I know I've given a couple spoilers to Jess's origin origin story, but Jess, if you want to. Yeah, no problem. Makes it easier for me. Um, so my story is a little bit different along the same lines, but like Luke mentioned, we met in law school. So I did a business undergrad degree, then, you know, went to law school. Um, we did a joint MBA program with the law side by side. And uh, when I graduated, so when I was in school, I was in, I want to say in at the beginning of law school, I wanted to buy a property for myself. And I remember meeting with an agent and, um, you know, he showed me a couple properties. And then when I had the time to meet with a mortgage broker, they said, oh, well, you don't have full-time income. 
you're not going to be able to qualify for any loans. If you're a student, you know, come back to me when you have full-time income. So in my mind, that was a a mental block right away is, well, I can't buy property because I don't have a full-time job. So I kind of did follow that advice, finish law school, finish the MBA. And the moment I I got my first pay stub as an articling student, um, I worked um, on Bay Street as a a corporate lawyer. But that, that first pay stub I got from the law firm I remember saying, okay, I've got my full-time income. I can now go and buy a property. And so I bought a pre-construction condo. It worked out great because I had saved up some money throughout school so I could put the deposit down and uh, and kind of work to staggering that, that down payment deposit, um, but knowing that, okay, now I can finally get financing. And it's funny because that property, I bought that in 2015, that property closed in, in 2020, I think. In the meantime, we bought all kinds of other houses. Um, so it was the first property, but wasn't really the first closing. And so, yeah, after that, I um, so I, I worked as a corporate lawyer for almost four years um, on Bay Street. I worked in the um, for clients in the energy sector, and evenings and weekends, like Luke said, we'd be working on our flip properties and then eventually our wholesales. And really, I went into I went into real estate more full time. Once, uh, once I got pregnant with uh, with my daughter and realized that long term it wouldn't be sustainable being both a lawyer and a real estate investor. At that point, I was already running a short term rental business, um, so there was a lot going on. Um, so that was really the transition for me into full time real estate. Nice. Look, you probably the best thing that happened by going to law school, even though that you took the I guess the longer path or the more difficult path was meeting Jess, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's the only part of the hospital that's still practical. I'm, I'm still a licensed lawyer, but uh, I don't use it. And I'm very glad to have met my wife there. <laughs> nice. So, you, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be wondering, at, at such a young age, you both are, are have law degrees and, and became lawyers. Like, why in this wildest world would you leave that to become real estate investors? Like, what was that inside of you? Or I know you came from... Uh, Luke, you came from a, a background and you always had the intention to become a full-time investor. But, it, it, you know, was there a couple of like trigger points that made that happen? I think for, for me, the big thing, um, because I, I really very much enjoyed being a lawyer. Um, I loved my job. I loved the firm I worked at. I loved the people I worked with, like real, some really, really smart people. I got to work on some very interesting deals. I think it just came down to um, competing interests. I only had so many hours in a day. And if the vast majority of my time was spent, you know, working as a lawyer, it was too, it became too much to then develop, you know, side businesses, right? And so at some point when these side businesses or what used to be side businesses became so big that they not only replaced my income, but had the potential to to do so much more for our family long-term, that's when it really made sense to, to step away from something that I really loved. but for the long term, it made sense, you know, financially um, for our family and just for, you know, kind of generational wealth creation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, when you look at Jess's background, and she was she was at the largest law firm in Canada in doing corporate law. So she had the full golden handcuffs. And that is hard to break from because every year they increase your pay a lot. Uh, you make really good money. Obviously, banks like the income. It, it is really hard to break away from that. And that's something we talked about often, even you know, once you first started working there, because it, you know, it was, they eventually, they always try to rope you in to become partner, but then your living expenses go up every year. You know, you have to buy the bigger house, the fancy car, and you can't ever leave that job. So it was, it was always a conversation ongoing so that she, you know, uh, could see the golden handcuffs for what they were and also realize that there's potential to make so much more outside of law, right? That was the other thing. For me, it was, you know, being in, realizing after first year law, I really didn't like law. It was not for me, um, but I was going to finish it because I had started it. And so it, it was already looking at what was possible. But something you men- mentioned, Jose, is that, um, you know, I always planned on becoming a full-time real estate investor. I did it because I didn't know that that was an option. I always thought that you had to have another job to get the income to buy real estate on the side. I always thought that my dad was a commercial real estate agent. He used the income from, he generated as a realtor and the flexibility of his schedule to be able to invest a bit in real estate on the side, but his main job was still as a realtor. 
for me, I thought I'd become a lawyer. That would be my main job. And then I'd go buy rental properties on the side for retirement. I wasn't surrounded by a community. Um, you know, I didn't know about, you know, financial independence, retire early. I wasn't surrounded by a community that showed me that that was possible to actually go into real estate full time. And I had a mental block that I thought you couldn't flip houses in the GTA because uh, homes are so expensive and everyone sells with the lawyer. There's no way to get a good deal. So I just thought it wasn't even possible. But slowly realizing that it maybe was possible that I could try a couple of flips, you know, while uh, articling, seeing if I could buy any properties, that kind of thing. I think opening my mind up to it being possible because I actually, the first, my, mine was a two-step process. I was planning on moving to the States, flipping houses in California. One of my brothers was going to fund it. And then when uh, I, had, I had an accident, had to have minor surgery, couldn't leave. I said, okay, I'll article in Canada, but let me actually see if it's possible to do in Canada. So it was a two-step process where I wrapped my mind around doing it full-time in the U.S., but thought it wasn't possible here. And then uh, the second step was bringing it back. Okay, let's see if we can do this in Canada. And Jess and I, you know, did our first flips to work in there, picking up tile choices, bringing materials on site, you know, checking in on the contractors constantly. And uh, we managed the first few were very profitable and it kind of showed us it was possible to make it full-time. Yeah, you know what? I totally agree. And we also had this mental block as well about flipping houses in Canada. Like it didn't exist back then. And personally, when we, there's one of the regrets is wish we had started sooner, you know? Yeah. Because uh, we would have, at that time, there was less competition, you know, earlier in the days. And the market was different, right? Yeah. So, but anyway, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting. You guys are one of the, I think the third or fourth couple uh, real estate investors we've had on our show. And it, it's awesome to see. I, I love I love couples. I think that it's it's wonderful that people can work together and, you know, they bring that power to their business and to their personal life. So w- walk us through sort of how you guys, you know, do you guys have separate roles in the business? How do you work together? Uh, what's your structure look like? Jess, do you want to take that? Sure, absolutely. Um, and this is, so I'll preface this by saying, this is an area that is absolutely the hardest thing sometimes to manage is that personal relationship, but also working together as partners in the business um, because it inevitably carries over one world into the other. And so I think over the years, that's been our, our, our biggest real goal is to make sure we really have that separation, especially now, you know, having a daughter, we want to have that personal life separate from business, but also separate what each one of us does. So we're not stepping on each other's toes. Um, Absolutely. So really in the day-to-day, we've separated it out where um, generally, you know, Luke has his responsibilities. I have my responsibilities and we, we have enough space to consult with one another whenever an issue comes up, but we're ultimately responsible for separate areas of the business and so Luke is more, um, I'd say more active in, in our wholesaling business um, than I am. I more manage like the higher level strategic vision there, but also um, our short-term rentals and, and long-term rentals. Somewhere where we do overlap and, and we've set it up from the get-go is our commercial uh, investing portfolio. That's something that we've always wanted to do, the two of us, and uh, we've been running together. But I think we're able to, to do that a lot better to work as partners there because of all the experience we've had, you know, figuring out um, issues earlier on. And, um, and that's something that I feel people don't talk as much about is, um, you know, working with your spouse, working with your partner. Um, sure. it, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard, hard. It's, um, you know, because you're so focused always on making sure that you're pushing the business forward, you're taking new opportunities, you're running with them, and you're not always aligned. And sometimes on the personal side, we're always very much aligned, but sometimes in business decisions, Luke wants to go one way. I want to go another way. We both have like the best interests of the company in mind. We just come at it from different perspectives. And so that's been the biggest um, kind of learning point for the two of us is, hey, how do we figure that out? Where do we give each other more rope and um, really delineating this person's responsible for these properties, this other person's responsible for these other properties. You can consult, but at the end of the day, you know, if it's, if it's a property that, you know, Jess's property that I'm responsible for, I'll ask Luke for his feedback. But if I don't agree with it, I'll still make that decision um, because it's my project. And, and same thing with Luke. Yeah. No, I mean, you can imagine two lawyers um, 
might be a little bit opinionated. So um, I think it's something we learned early on when we were flipping that we have different responsibilities. So we're not arguing about what's the better tile for this bathroom shower. It's no, you know, even within a flip, you could separate it where you're going to be responsible for, if you want, you're responsible for design and you're responsible for financing, or you're responsible for kitchen design, you're responsible for bathroom design, just separating that that way. And like Jess was saying, you know, we, we kind of have houses that are separate now. It's, you know, you own this corporation with a bunch of houses those are your decision. And so, you know, Jess asked me, Hey, do you think, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a little bit more of a construction background. So Jess might ask me, Hey, do you think that we should change this whole roof or just the one side that seems, you know, to be curling? That might be something she might bring me in and ask me and I'll give her my opinion and reasons. And then she'll go make a decision whether she follows it or not. Um, and at the same time, they might be like, okay, well, I'm laying out this house. You know, what do you think about this and that for, for design? What do you think of this kitchen layout? And she'll give me advice and, I can decide to follow it or not, but it's fine because we're not, one person is fully responsible for those decisions and the other person is just helping them. No, that's amazing. I love, uh, I love, uh, as you mentioned, when couples work together, because, you know, we, we, uh, even at nighttime, it's hard to separate uh, business versus personal, right? And, and yeah, like when you're at dinner. We're after dinner. like not having had dinner together at a restaurant for weeks, you got a sitter, you got someone to watch the kids, you're having a nice dinner. And then it's like, oh, hey, by the way, just just one thing, like seriously, one thing. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I We had Alex Pell on the show a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about this exact same thing because him and Kaylee work together. And Mandy's going to love me because Mandy was on our show and she gave us the best advice. And I'll repeat it again because I thought it was so awesome, which is that you got to separate. She, she said, like, listen, like you're going to talk about real estate because real estate's your passion. And if you can't share that with your spouse, well, you're kind of robbing yourself of this very special thing that you're so passionate, you're both passionate about. So of course, you're going to talk about something you're, you're passionate about. But she said that you got to separate things that are positive versus things that are negative, especially when you're like, so she gave us this example. She said like, hey, we acquired this new piece of land. We're both super psyched about it. We wanted to drive by it on our way to dinner or something, right? So we did that. We're like, oh, wow, like, look at this. Like, we're going to develop this. This is exciting. But she's like, we were going through like an eviction with the LTB or we were, we had this negative thing like that you do not bring to the table. You do not bring those stressful sort of negative sort of work things. If, you, if you're talking about something positive, something visionary, something exciting happening in the business, then like, great, let's chat about it, right? But like you really have to think to yourself before you speak about sort of what kind of emotion that's going to bring to the conversation. <laughs> and I thought that was really good because it is hard to just like have this black line, like black and white, like can't talk about real estate. Can't like, what can we talk about? <laughs> I don't know. Personally, I, I still struggle with that because yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes I don't know if that's going to be positive or negative. You know? <laughs> So, I mean, real estate is such a big part of our lives. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like that I, mindset. I mean, sometimes I may ask her, why is this property still vacant? Like, well, you know, well, which could be a positive or a negative. Well, right? the other day I had a video of the kids, right? And I was like so excited to show him. And I was like, hey, like, let me show you this video. And as I was finding the video, he's like, can I ask you whether this uh, roof repair was completed? And I just like literally lost my mind. Like I got off the sofa. I was like, I'm not showing you the video anymore. Yeah. he was like what's the problem i was like well you're just ruining my vibe like i, I don't want to talk about that roof leak right now right it's like, i just had to ask before i forgot yeah I, I get that asking before i get i think something we've done relatively well maybe not consciously but um when we're when we have problems at each other's properties we like at, at the properties we're responsible for we don't necessarily dwell on it or complain about it too much unless we need the other person's help all we'll do is kind of inform the other person hey the roof is old at this house i'm getting quotes to get it replaced cool you know that, that so you know jess tells me that she's dealing with it same thing on one of mine it's really only if we you know want to discuss oh do we need to do this or something that we get further into it but otherwise you're just kind of informing the other person what's happening in part of our family's portfolio um, and i think that's generally fine but yes i, I still think it makes sense to separate it out from like happy dinner versus, you know, during the day you're talking and you're like, Hey, you know, if the roof is leaking, we're going to get it fixed. That, that doesn't stress me anymore. Someone tells me, Hey, you know, if Jess tells me, Hey, the roof's leaking on this house, 
We're going to get it fixed. We'll get some quotes. Okay. That's just part of the business. That's not a stressful thing. That's not negative to me. Um, what would be negative is it's been leaking for years. The property management didn't tell us about it. The woods all rotted. You know, that gets stressful. But if we're, if just, hey, this happened and I'm taking care of it, great. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I wanted to kind of switch gears and talk a little bit about your wholesaling business as it is a very commendable what you've built. And, uh, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur, I, we struggle with uh, scaling uh, our business and and a lot of other listeners as well. Maybe talk us through, you know, um, when you first started the company and how it evolved and just expanded uh, and scaled so quickly. Yeah, I'll, I'll start, Jess, and maybe switch off. I, so, you know, when Jess was working full-time, I started flipping houses full-time. I think we bought something like 17 houses in the first year. Um, and then the next year, something like 25. I was doing some online marketing, Google AdWords, you know, Express, just on the phone. And um, I think I had seven renovations going on at the same time. Couldn't handle the volume of renovations. Um, and so this was this was all flips. And, you know, they were profitable. We took a few hits in 2017 when, when the market was on its way down uh, after the government changed some rules in the GTA. Um, but overall, when the market was flat or up, we were doing quite well. And... Um, I had seven renovations going on at the same time, which was always a difficult point, finding contractors. It's always a difficult point for all flippers and rent for uh, anyone really, construction. And I got this good lead and I spoke to the seller and I was talking to Jess about it. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go see this one. I just have so many renovations. I don't know that I can go, you know, I don't even know that I can buy this one. Well, um, she said, go, go see it. If it's a good deal, you'll figure it out. So I ended up going to see it. I actually bought it with a long closing. And then a week later, I called a friend of ours that we used to get Portuguese chicken with the three of us. <laughs> and uh, I, that's actually how I met him. I called him up off. I saw an ad for his that he bought houses online and I called him up and we talked about it. And a week later he bought that house for me. And that was the first wholesale. It had a long close, but it was, you know, a week later I had assigned the contract to somebody else. I gave myself a long closing so that I could finish other renovations and then still close on this one, but I ended up not needing to. So that was a nice assignment for my first one. He bought it and did very well on it because he had advantages uh, for flipping that I didn't have. And um, and then from there, I did a few flips here and there. And then we started wholesaling more and more. I'd say one of the things too, that's always obviously helped us scale was, was hiring. was hiring. And early on, it was difficult. You know, hire an assistant, try to dump a whole bunch of stuff on their plate. It wouldn't really work out. Um, and it was only when we started thinking we need to hire someone to focus on just one thing at a time so that they can get good. Because we get... We do this over a period of time. We learn a little bit at a time and get better and better and better. But then we're here and we're doing 20 different things in a business wearing all the hats. And we hire an assistant. We're like, hey, do all of these things for us. Well, it doesn't work like that. What I found was hire someone for a specific role, have them get really good at that, and then you can give them a little more. But you take those things off of you and now you can hire a second person to take a few of those things. Uh, so what our first real successful hire was hiring our first acquisition rep to buy houses. And that was, they were going to focus on that role. Um, you know, in the day-to-day, I still had to manage contractors, do the marketing, track expenses, uh, all of, you know, all of the admin work, still checking yeah, with, with contractors and all of that. So um, I had a lot of hats to wear, but then I had one person who could focus on that and do a better job than I was. And he got really good at it. And he's still with us buying houses. Um, yeah. And so we were able to scale from there. That was, uh, he was with us for a year. In a bit, and then we had brought someone in part time uh, to help with marketing, and then um, we started looking for a sales manager. I don't know if you want to talk about that, Jess. Sure. Yeah, because bringing the sales manager on was really sort of a pivotal moment for the business, and that's where things really took off. So we realized that if we wanted to expand this business, I mean, we're in a sales and marketing business. At the end of the day, yes, if we're you know selling and marketing real estate, but it's a sales and marketing business that we're in. And so if we want to expand this business, we not only need bodies to help do the work, if we're going to, you know, exponentially, you know, put our, you know, more marketing out there, buy more properties out of it, you know, assign more properties, but we also need somebody that has sales experience. And we've been talking about it. We're lawyers. We're not salespeople. Yeah. Um, that, that's not our strong suit. And so it was really that, that aha moment that we had talking to another real estate investor. We were at a conference down in the U.S. 
And, and they said, well, it sounds like you really need a sales manager. And it's something that we hadn't thought about until that moment. And we kind of, you know, we took it back, we discussed it, we, we, we thought about it. And when we hired our sales manager, things really took off because not only was he great and he is still great, he's still with us, but he was able to pinpoint and create a bit of a plan as to how we want to expand, what kinds of, you know, people do we need in the organization to really scale the business? Um, and he brought a wealth of uh, experience with him. Like he had um, grown a sales team from essentially zero to like hundreds of, of sales, um, of sales guys and girls. So, so bringing him on board with all that experience just really catapulted us. And we said, okay, well, this is how many houses we want to buy in a year. How do we get there? And so bringing someone on that could, you know, hire all the, the, um, the, you know, the individuals that filled the different roles there. That was the, the, the biggest, the biggest factor for us. Yeah. Not only did he hire those people, he then had those people, you know, figure out what else we needed. And then just, it's like a little Tetris game at that point, right? It's where are we missing somebody? Okay. Then we bring a person in, but now we have our core, core sales team, you know, built out already. And that sales manager very quickly became our COO and runs almost all of the day-to-day of our business. And really it was always, we kind of always, Jess and I always had the strategy and, and that's something I know that one of my strengths is, is looking ahead at what we, we need in the business. And so as we were growing rapidly, you know, it would be, okay, well, we're getting a lot of calls. So we need, you know, we're going to, at the rate, we're increasing our marketing now. Our lead intake team is not going to be able to handle the volume. So let's start hiring now, knowing that soon they're going to be overwhelmed. Let's hire ahead of time. So it was kind of trying to keep ahead of the bottlenecks, um, kind of seeing them before they actually hit. And keeping ahead of them, and I think we have somewhere in the forty to forty-five people on our team now. And we do we wholesale, you know, across Ontario. Uh, so main markets are GTA, Ottawa. We're in Montreal, and we're in the greater uh, Metro Vancouver area as well. Um, so kind of across Canada. And for context, last year we wholesaled, I believe, two hundred and sixty-one houses. Um, we're hoping to hit over three hundred, maybe three fifty this year. So that's that is incredible. Yeah, yeah amazing. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you guys, you know, are, there's not too many business owners I know they can, that have grown to that scale. And so congratulations on getting this done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're always impressed with you guys too. So the little bit that you share on social media is always very impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, thanks. Um, so yeah, let's just flip gears. So you guys have this wholesaling business and then, um, you know, of course your, your bones are, have always been wanting to be a real estate investor, investing in property from both of your sort of origin stories. So I guess you've now taken that back into building out a business or investing in real estate. So tell us a little bit about that side of things. Yeah, so in our um, in our uh, portfolio of, of buy and hold properties, it really started off with a couple long term holds, and then as I was still working as a lawyer, um, sort of my bigger foray was I bought this rundown cottage, renovate we you know we renovated it together, and then we said, okay, you know we can afford this cottage, but wouldn't it be great to have to make some income on it? And so that that, that was our first kind of uh, move into the short term rental space. And then since we've acquired a couple more cottages, so we have the short-term rental business um, called Sweet Dreams Rentals, um, Sweet S-U-I-T-E. And, and that, that's our that's our short-term rental business. And then for our, our long-term rental properties, it's been sort of, we, we've been building it out over the years. Um, and it, it really accelerated once we really grew the wholesaling business too, because where we found a deal that really made sense as a rental, you know, we would keep it and move it into the, the rental portfolio. So uh, we've got about uh, 30 properties now. And um, I want to say between 65 and 70 units um, in, in the long-term uh, rental portfolio. Uh, and uh, those are mostly single family homes and duplexes. Uh, we're building out some coach houses now actually in Ottawa. Um, so, you know, where a property could work as a duplex, um, you know, sometimes we're thinking, okay, instead of renovating, you know, the basement and creating, a, you know, an underground unit, wouldn't it be more attractive to actually build a separate full, you know, kind of tiny home in the backyard where they have their own space, their own backyard dedicated to them, and just overall a better appeal. Um, so we're kind of, we're doing a couple of those in Ottawa, 
coach house builds. And really right now, our big focus is building out our commercial investment arm of our business. Uh, in the last year, we've closed on three multifamily properties um, between, I want to say, eight and 12 units. The, uh, the biggest project we're taking on is um, out in, uh, in the Niagara region. We've got a 12-unit building that we're converting to 17 units. It's almost fully vacant, and we're reconfiguring the units. It's an older build, so it's built in the 1970s, so the units are, are large. And so we're reconfiguring the floor plan and layouts to accommodate 17 units. So that's uh, that's a big project we're working on now and uh, trying to see uh, what else is out there that we can buy in that space. I don't know if you want to add to that, Luke. Yeah, I would add um, almost our entire portfolio um, is just owned by the two of us. We do have, I believe, two single family homes or one single family, one duplex, and then one of our multifamily properties that we bought with, with JV Partners. But for the most part, our strategy has also been um, relatively conservative. We keep a pretty low loan to value across our portfolio, so we're not heavily leveraged. Um, we're, we're really building this for, for long-term wealth safely, and probably any new multifamily properties that we're buying, we will be buying with, with partners, joint venture partners on, on them. But otherwise, our portfolio is low loan to value, Know, just kind of a steady long-term portfolio that uh, um, that we're going to hopefully keep pretty much all of it forever. We don't, we're not looking, we have a business that buys and sells houses quickly. These ones we're really looking to hold uh, most of them forever and, you know, occasionally sell properties where it makes sense, but we don't really plan on selling our portfolio. Okay, nice. And I think a, a big part of, of us, you know, really building out the um, the, the, the rental portfolio has been, we don't know what might come along, you know, regulations, you know, rules out there in the market, you know, market fluctuations where, you know, the main business might be impacted. We've always wanted sort of a bit of a safety net too. We don't want to have all our eggs in one basket in case something shifts or something changes, which is inevitable. Things always shift um, and you adapt, but sometimes you can only adapt so much. So we wanted to have a little nest egg. Um, separate from all of that, and that—that's really the goal of uh, of the long term rentals. Like Luke said, it's it's a long term wealth creation, something that you know we can always fall back on um, if need be. No, that's a great point. Yeah. Our portfolio is pretty spread out. I know some people really concentrate in one area. We're pretty spread out across southern Ontario. Um, we probably three quarters of our single family homes and duplexes are in the Ottawa region, which we liked. You know, a few years ago, especially, it made really good sense to uh, the numbers as rentals. Uh, kind of like Hamilton a few years before that, um, but then it got harder to make the numbers work. But also, we like the Ottawa region because um, I don't think odd government's ever going to be getting smaller again. There's just the trend to bigger and bigger government. Um, so we're not, you know, that's one of the major employers in the Ottawa region, and and their um, and tech is also booming in Ottawa. So there is that kind of we're more confident in the ability of tenants to pay long term and withstand uh, any potential downturns in the future. Um, and then otherwise, you know, we have properties in uh, Brantford, Kitchener, uh, Woodstock, Welland, St. Catharines, uh, a couple in downtown Toronto. We're kind of spread out. And then the cottages are spread out as well. So we're kind of spread out everywhere, which it can be a little bit more complicated to manage. But at the same time, uh, we also spread our risk of market risk as well uh, in, in that. So, yeah. Well, wow, that's um, how about the management? How do you handle the the property management side of things? I'm, I'm assuming it's third party managers. Yes, uh, for the most part, it's third party managers. Um, some of them we still have in house where it makes sense and um, where we have somebody that can um, you know can check in on the properties. But most part is is third party. You know, it, it's something that we we thought about and could we do it in house? Sure, but. It was the, um, when we weighed out the pros and cons, it's not something that right now our time is best spent focusing on. Um, there are companies out there that can do a really good job. That's what they do. That's what they specialize in. And, you know, we specialize in other things and that's where we're going to really, um, you know, get the most return on our time. And that's, that, that, that was a decision, you know, behind that. And, and it also depends on the management companies we can find in, in the different areas because some are better than others. So if we're having really good success with a great management company in an area, we're going to keep them. But if we try a management company, we're not happy with them. We try another one, we're not happy with them. Then we might start self-managing the properties in that area um, if we just can't find a good property manager. Because it is it is such a key part 
a property manager who, who cares about keeping your properties in good shape and making sure you get good tenants in. Um, that is such a key part of running sustainable long-term rental business. Oh, right. for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about um, sort of routines and mindset, guys. Like, how do you guys manage all this? I know you have a little one too. Uh, what does, you know, what do you guys do to keep yourself motivated to continue to keep focus on all the different things going on? Do you have any any secrets? Uh, I would, speaking for myself, um, I always used to beat up on myself because I'm not one of those miracle morning guys. I don't have, I'm not great with routines. Right now, our daughter's not in, in, uh, not in preschool yet. She's still with the nanny and she's starting preschool soon because she's not in preschool. Um, she goes down at night and wakes up around 9 a.m. She sleeps at 9 to 9. So we wake up when she wakes up. I don't set an alarm. I wait to hear my baby wake me up and that's my alarm for the morning. And then our, our nanny comes and, um, and we start our, our work day. So, um, yeah, we don't have that. I don't have that, that kind of strict routine that a lot of people have. I have set meetings that are very important to us in, in the commercial and the wholesaling business. You know, I would say our marketing meeting uh, that I have, you know, an hour a week is probably my most important meeting of the week. And then we have a few other meetings as well. And we do not as closely as we should follow traction for the business as well. So we have our, our rocks, our quarterly meetings. And so, yeah, I would say a lot of people have, if something works for you, you don't necessarily need the routine that um, people talk about, you know, millionaires do this. Okay. Well, we're millionaires and we don't do that. So <laughs> I would say it is okay to not do it. I definitely think for some people uh, it can increase your efficiency. Um, but we're lucky we're at a certain point in the business where we're not necessarily always trying to be the most efficient. We have a great team. We let them run most of the day to day. And uh, I get involved a lot with just putting out fires when needed and solving, solving problems as they come to me. And that's really, for me, that's one of my strengths is solving problems and then having other people do the, the follow-up work. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, and I'll, I'll fully echo what Luke was saying. We have no miracle morning. Um, I'm, I'm all for it. I have friends that do it and wake up at 4 a.m. with the sunrise and, and, and it works great for them. But I, people have to remember too, investors have to remember that, you know, people have different personalities. You've gotten to where you are and you've reached success by doing what makes sense to you. Changing up, changing up your routine drastically might make sense, but it might also not make sense because you, you've reached success in many areas of life and you've done it your way. So you don't need to do a major overhaul to, to be successful. Um, tune into kind of what makes sense for your life and how you've always been doing things. You can tweak stuff, but, um, yeah, we wake up with the baby and that's something that, you know, started when we, when we had the baby and, you know, you get every little ounce of sleep at first. Um, and so we kind of continued that, but I think the big things for us that really have had an impact, um, we've always, you know, we, we just got back from, from Spain. Um, we spent four year, uh, four months, sorry, four, years, nice, four months in Spain, um, this winter. It's something that we've always wanted to do for the two of us. Um, you know, with the pandemic and everything, things got pushed back a little bit, but that's been a goal for us and something that, you know, has allowed us to kind of reset, take a step back, reevaluate where things are going in the personal life and in the business. Um, and so for us, that made sense to have, you know, those four months in a warm climate. We didn't have to deal with Ottawa winters, which are pretty bad. <laughs> we got home in April and there was still snow on the ground. <laughs> and uh, something that we were doing before we went to Spain and that, you know, we still plan to kind of pick right back up now that we're back home is every Tuesday we would have um, a dedicated time, you know, I think it was, you know, um, late morning to early afternoon where it was Jess and Luke time. And so that was our time to go out. Usually we'd have lunch, maybe we'd do like a fun activity, um, whatever we felt like, but that was our time to spend together as a couple. Um, and because when you're an entrepreneur and we talked about this, you're always on the go, you're always responding to people. There's no nine to five. It, it's, it's 24 seven when you're running a business, especially with your spouse, you're always both on 24 seven. That was kind of space for us to say, okay, you know, we have childcare during that time. Great. We don't have any, you know, company meetings we have to be at. Um, this, that, that carved out time every week, just you and I spend time together as a couple and make sure that our relationship is strong because that's the foundation of, uh, of our household. Yeah. No, a, a lot of great points there. And, and we can totally relate because yeah, we we're not 
Personally, I'm not a routine guy in the morning. Uh, you know, I, I wake and he's up always whenever. beating himself up for it. Yeah, he's like, I always, oh, you I know, I always kind of feel guilty about it um, <laughs> because I'm not an early morning person either. I, but I, I think, again, everything changes when you have kids, right? Yeah. Like ultimately, yeah. your kids want happy parents. And if they're rested and I'm the same, we way. wake up when our kids wake up too. when yeah. we hear mama, that's when everybody gets up and like got to yeah. get the kids out of the crib. Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, I, to- I totally resonate with what you're saying. Um, I think it's, I think it's great. I think you guys are, you know, wise beyond your years, uh, you know, totally commendable what you guys have done and, and the balance that you've been able to strike with, you know, cause ultimately I think that the conversation is like, Hey, like what's the big, why, like, why do we do what we do? You know, like, yes, it's, it's about financial wealth, obviously. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that, that everybody knows that's why people invest in real estate or have businesses. Um, but it's, it's, it's more than that, right? Like it's deeper than that. It's about creating something. And ultimately it comes down to that freedom, right? The freedom to live on your terms. And, and that's kind of the theme that most of our guests uh, seem to resonate with, like the, the, the conversation about having, being able to do these lunches on your schedule just the two of you being able to wake up when your baby wakes up and not have an alarm clock or work calls that you have to get up for at a certain time. Right. So it's all these le- going away for the winter for four months because you wanted to get away. Like these are all such important things. And I think you guys, I think it's great because you're, you're actually living your why. Yeah. I, I, would, I would add on as well. Like, well, you know, Jose beating himself up. Um, I, I felt that way for a long time too, because you know, even, um, you know, seeing my dad, my dad was older. He, he was 55 when he, when I was born and he had the most self-control of anyone I've ever met, you know, just, and he worked seven days a week and he, he could do what he committed to always. Um, you know, and, uh, and I found I didn't have that kind of level of self-control. I didn't have that level of, uh, that, that, that he did. And I would beat myself over, up, up over it for years. Um, and it was only when I started understanding that maybe I have different strengths that I can play on. Um, you know, one time I was, uh, at an event and, uh, you know, um, was speaking with a culture index, uh, representative from one of the personality profiles, the culture index. There's another one, the predictive index is pretty good. They're both kind of expanded versions of the disc profile. So they kind of tell you what your personality is like, what your strengths are, your weaknesses are, how good you are at modifying from them. Um, he looked at my culture index profile and he said, you're essentially like a mosquito chugging Red Bull. You're just all over the place all the time and a very high visionary. But that's what I'm good at. I'm, that is, that visionary is also why I was able to, you know, look at as the business was growing and seeing, Hey, this is going to be our next bottleneck. This is going to be our next problem. So looking at it from a visionary perspective, um, and Jess also has a, a different type of visionary profile, but also, um, which is slightly more organized, but mine is not organized at all. All gas, no brakes, uh, and just all over the place. So that can be hard to follow. But at the same time, <laughs> organizing that with with foresight, I would plan ahead ideas, no one to say no to many of them. The 99% of the ideas I come up with, we immediately say no to. But coming up with what is the best ones, thinking about them a lot. So that's my strength. And then I'm able to, because I'm, I am forward thinking that way, I'm able to give advice to team members. They ask me with a problem like, okay, well, this could result in this. So let's do it this way. Um, so I can actually play on these strengths, even though I have weaknesses in other ways, people would sometimes see, you know, the way I work and say, well, oh, you shouldn't work like that. Well, it works for me. Uh, and so I would say, don't beat yourself up over it. Clearly you guys are doing something very, very right. And then you kind of almost have to learn to lean into those strengths. Um, and I'd also say for, for the time that Jess and I take, uh, both the Tuesday, that one of the nice things about that is when we take time in the middle of the day on a Tuesday, nothing's occupied. We can go to the beach. It's empty. Uh, last summer, we rented a boat several times on the Ottawa River. When usually you try to rent it on a weekend, it's going to be, you know, you have to book weeks ahead of time, if not months ahead of time to, to get to reserve a boat. We can go same day and get a boat and just go out on the river because we feel like it. So being able to do those kind of things, that's one of the advantages and one of the ways you reward yourself for all the work you have to put in as an entrepreneur, all the late nights and the thinking about it over dinner. Um, and same thing when we were in Spain. That was one of the wonderful things. We were able to sit down in the mornings because of the time difference. We were in the Canary Islands. Because of the time difference with Toronto, most of the people on our, in our company working would work, would start work around 1 p.m. our time there. 
So then we would have the mornings to sit down and it was really nice. We'd sit down in a cafe in the small towns almost every day, have a little uh, a sandwich, have a coffee and just sit and talk to each other and walk down the streets. It was a very relaxing time. And then we put the baby down for a nap and our phones start ringing for work. <laughs> it was great. Um, I, I like that flexibility that we have. And it's, um, you know, you take the good with the bad. Yeah. So uh, Jess, what's the next uh, long-term winter getaway? Oh my God. Are you guys planning to go back uh, there next year or somewhere else? So I'm fully 100% down to go back, but it is a long flight because Ottawa doesn't have like international flights really. So uh, it took like close to 20 hours for us to get home. And Luke was absolutely over it. But I think I'm going to try to convince him to go back. Maybe it's one of the other, we were in the Canary Islands, maybe a different island in the Canaries. Uh, but we'll see. It's not even about, you know, the destination. It's more the lifestyle that, that it affords you. And, and like Luke was saying, you know, we're so, you know, we're always kind of available, even if we have kind of off times where we're not. As an entrepreneur, you don't log off at five and then forget about work until nine the next morning. It just, it doesn't work that way. And so for us to be able to find a way to make that work for us, um, that was, you know, going to Spain those Tuesdays, um, you know, figuring out ways that, you know, we can, we can take that, okay, I'm always quote unquote available to work if need be to then say, okay, well, if I'm available to work, you know, whenever, um, whenever like a main, major issue arises, can I do it from elsewhere? You know? Can I do it from a boat? Can I do it from an, an island? You know, how do I make this work for me in a way that that's rewarding as well? Um, and we have so much flexibility as entrepreneurs. That's the best part about it. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent, the freedom that it affords. So, uh, yeah, no, thank you guys so much. We got so much great value and I'm sure our listeners will too. Uh, before we wrap up, we like to ask our guests, is there sort of a quote or a saying that resonates with you, uh, you know, your, your personal life, your business, uh, any kind of philosophies that you have, uh, maybe you guys could each share something with us. Luke, I saw you looking at your, uh, your <laughs> quote on the wall. Well, I, I, I can do too. Um, this, I actually have a, a framed quote here. Um, that was my dad's. It was, um, it says the golden rules are, you must always sell something for more than it costs you. You must always buy when everyone else is selling. You must always sell when everyone else is buying. So those are the golden rules to any business. Um, yeah. So obviously that that's very applicable in our in our wholesaling business. Um, the other quote that um, that I think is very important is, um, and there's many variations of this. I don't know the origin of it, but um, a smart man learns from his mistakes, and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. So it's not just that we have to go through as entrepreneurs have to go through every problem on our own. We can actually see what other people have done. And that's sometimes, you know, joining mastermind groups or uh, listening to podcasts to, you know, I'm sure you guys have made many mistakes that you can share so other people don't need to make them. Uh, I've made a lot of mistakes myself, but wherever I can, um, I mean, it's very important to learn from your own mistakes, right? That's very important. It, the worst thing to do is not learn from your own mistakes, but it's even better if you can learn from the mistakes somebody else has made. For example, simple little things that you might not think about is, you know, oh, I'm going to buy in a corporation, but you know, I put too many properties in this corporation and now it's an issue with financing. I should have actually put some in this corporation and some in a new corporation. Had, you know, somebody who had been through this uh, told me about it, I could have learned from that, known a better way to set it up, for example, I'm not saying that's just a random example, but I could have known a better way to set it up and then um, not had to deal with the cost of either transferring properties or having an issue of not being able to refinance some of them. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I mean, guys, we, we love chatting Wait, with you. Wait, we got Jess. One, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can throw a quote your way. I've got, I've got many that I love. So um, I think uh, one of the ones that has, has been most impactful to me um, goes something like this. A diamond in the rough is will always be superior to a perfectly polished pebble. And for me, coming from, you know, a legal background, you know, there is never really room for errors. Every, you know, you're expected to deliver a quote unquote perfect product because, you know, you're a lawyer, you have to deliver it. There is very, very little room for error, like I said. Um, and then you go into entrepreneurship where there's a ton of room for error. 
Um, and I've had to make that, that, that big transition mentally saying, okay, I have five things like I, you know, I, I, I want to work on right now, but in this, like today, the hours I have today to dedicate to those five things, I can maybe do one or two things really, really well, but then those other three things won't get done. And so it's been a real mindset, mindset shift for me to say, you know, maybe I can accept a product, like a work product that's slightly deficient in in my legal mind, but gets the job done. Maybe that 75% of the way there is good enough for me to be able to accomplish five things versus hundred percent of two items. Cause then you're missing out on three things completely. And overall you have a worse product um, at the end of the day. So that's been a huge shift for me is accepting that, you know, sometimes getting most of the way there is, is good enough. And um, same thing for managing other people. Sometimes they can only get to a certain point of that finished product and that's okay. And we can move on and we can accept it and we can polish that, you know, that diamond over time if need be, but it's still a diamond at the end of the day and not a pebble because a beautiful pebble is, you know, you can easily come by it on the shores of Lake Ontario. <laughs> I would say that uh, just as 75% is better than most people's hundred percent. So that, that is, was an important thing on her mindset. She was so perfect that trying to do everything so perfectly that it slows you down. But uh, just as, just as pebble is better than most people's diamonds anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No. You. Yeah. You know what? You guys make a, such a great power couple, and you know. Yeah. Definitely it, some uh, very good uh, d- dynamic between your. You, you know, different but but similar, right? Different but complementary. I guess you could say. Um, so that that's awesome. Yeah. I know we we love chatting with you guys. Uh, you know, so much positivity. You guys are so young. Uh, you've accomplished so much, and I'm, I'm, I'm just excited to see your journey over the next, you know, five years and and where you guys get. So. Thanks again for for coming and chatting with us. We really enjoyed it. And uh, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you um, and, and maybe uh, your business? Uh, it's your wholesaling, uh, get on the buyer's list, perhaps? Sure. So if people want to get on our buyer's list, uh, for we also uh, wholesale commercial properties and not just residential. So uh, they can go to offmarketbliss, B-L-I-S-S, bliss, offmarketbliss.ca. If they want to sign up for our buyers list, and um, if they're interested in getting in touch with us, they can follow us on Instagram at Jess Luke Invest. J E S S L U C I E N V E S T. Okay, awesome. We'll definitely add it in our show notes. So, yeah, thanks again, Jess Luke. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.